But good morning. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Uh, it's been a bit since I've been up here, uh, but some of you may not know me. I'm Dave Ralph, one of the pastor elders here at Lakeside, along with Nate, who's our vocational pastor. Lay pastor was the word I was trying to think of. I'm a lay pastor along with Steve Collard and Jim Milkey, and that's our pastor elder board. And I'm glad you've decided to spend part of your Sunday with us and, and really give it to God. And, uh, you know, we're blessed to be able to come here and fellowship and, and worship and, and pray and hear God's word. And, you know, I hope you're ready to hear something from God uh, for yourself this morning. You know, I had written a uh, different intro to this message when I first started it. But since the shootings in a little town in Texas, I felt led to use that example. Um, and it's just one of the many examples. I mean, even I saw the news this morning that something happened in Philadelphia, too. And close by here in Oxford, Michigan. And, but when 21 people, you know, are mercilessly gunned down without provocation, it makes you wonder if the world has gone mad. And it kind of has. Unfortunately, this madness began when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Uh, you know, sin entered the world, and Satan has racked up some pretty heinous events in human history. But for 22 very hurting families in Texas and, and other parts of the country, uh, this heinous event became part of their world, became part of their life experience. And, and at times like this, we often ask, Why? Why does that happen? Why does God allow that to happen? But it isn't the only question we ask, right? We ask questions about life, eternity, and about God and his existence, or why we even exist. What's this all about? And uh, I recently subbed for the fifth and sixth grade class in BLAST, and I asked them the questions, what would you ask God if you had a chance to ask him questions? And of course, it's 11, 12-year-olds, you know, they're going to be goofy questions, right? And they're all boys, you know, so it's like, how much does the earth weigh? If you had a chance to ask God a question, you would ask him how much the earth weighs. <laughs> but Nada, you'd be proud of Isaac. He had some very thoughtful questions that he would ask God. He had some good questions. And uh, some of our questions are difficult or even impossible to answer. Like, why did my husband die? Why did God allow my baby to be born with disabilities? And you guys know these aren't random questions. This is something we've experienced here. And we might even have angry questions. Like, why do the bad guys seem to win? Or, or why, God, are you allowing me to suffer? You know, and I wish I had the answer to every one of those questions. I really do. Uh, but many of those questions won't be answered, you know, this side of eternity. But even the giants of the faith in the Bible, they had questions too, a lot of them, if you look through the Bible. We just look at a couple of them. David, in Psalm 94, 3, he says, O oh Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked exult? He's just frustrated. Habakkuk, we don't look at Habakkuk that much, but he started out with questions himself in his book. He says, O oh Lord, how long? Shall I cry for help, and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Boy, that's a prayer for sure for those families 
whose loved ones have been mercilessly killed. And these are just a couple of examples, right? The answers to our questions, however, may, not, may or may not be forthcoming, right? But the depth of the pain is still there. But the point is, it's okay to ask God questions. He's not afraid of that. He's big enough to handle that. And the scripture we're going to look at today is going to provide maybe an answer to a couple questions, perhaps not our specific questions, but broader questions that can give us the peace that we're seeking when we're faced with difficulties in life. But the thing is, why listen to answers from someone you don't trust? We all have people those in your life. Some of us might be those people in our life. Um, but that's what we're going to talk about this morning. You know, I have, I have three questions for us to consider today. Does God love me? What is God like? And can I trust God? Softballs, you know, we'll, we'll handle it here in 30 minutes. It will be good. You know, these are big questions. But we see from Isaiah 40 that, yes, God does love me. We'll see part of who God is, and he is really, really great. And he is one, he is the one true God, creator and sustainer of all things. We'll also see that because of who he is, that yes, we should put all our trust in him. And I'm praying that we all will allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts this morning and, and give us the hope we need as we look into God's word to answer these questions. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 40. So the first uh, 39 chapters of Isaiah uh, were kind of harsh and matter-of-fact, you know, as Israelites were, they were miraculously saved from the Assyrians. But now they're coming into a time of some uncertainty with a prophecy being uh, set about them being carried off into Babylonian exile. So chapter 40, though, starts a section that's much more poetic and prophetic in style. And, and that probably helped the Israelites uh, be reassured that despite everything, God loves them and is in control. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 11 through 31. So there's pew Bibles there in the, in the pew if you want to grab that or just click over on your electronic device. Um, when I was studying this section, you know, I found similarities in the various verses. A lot of times when we, when we teach through Scripture, bam, 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 we go in verse order. This time I found it easier to consume and understand the section if I bunched verses together that has similar ideas, and hopefully that'll help you too. Uh, let's start with uh, verse 11, while we consider this question, does God love me? Isaiah 40, 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd, he will gather the lambs in his arms, he will carry them in his bosom, and gently lead those that are with young. So, I know nothing about being a shepherd. Anybody who's a shepherd here, right? <laughs> Everything I know about being a shepherd, I learned from Wiley Coyote, right? <laughs> you know, he would try to steal the sheep, and then the sheep dog would stop whatever scheme Wiley Coyote was trying to do to steal the sheep. But really, we do learn a little bit about being a shepherd from the Bible as well. Um, but whether you do or don't, I think you can see in this verse, and here in this verse of poetry, the love in this verse, the shepherd cares for and loves the flock he tends. He protects them and holds them close, all of them, the children, the expectant mothers, every sheep has value and is loved. 
And friends, boy, it breaks my heart when I hear people anywhere, but especially people here in our Lakeside family, say that they don't feel loved. They don't feel valued. They don't feel heard or they feel invisible. But I'm here to tell you this morning that God loves you. You are valuable. I love you, as many people here do. Please don't listen to the lies that Satan tells you. But God uses this imagery of the uh, shepherd and sheep to show how he loves and cares for us. You know, the imagery was very common and well understood by the Israelites in the, in the 8th century B.C. When, during Isaiah's time. But even when the wheels of life seem to come off, God loves you. The Bible has often been called God's love letter to us. You know, the Bible mentions God's love for us many times, and I encourage you to do a study on that uh, sometime to, to look through those. But here's just a couple of examples. And we're going to just look at a few because we could go on for a long time. 1 John 4, 16a. And so we know and rely on the love of God, on the love God has for us. God is love. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5a. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And of course, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That's how much he loved us. So even when things go haywire, even when things go bad, God's love for us does not change. And like someone who loves you, God wants, you, wants to tell us a little bit about him so we can be confident in his love and care for us. So take a look at verses 12, 15, and 16. And that starts a section that will help us answer the question, what is God like? Isaiah 40, 12, 15, and 16. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span? Enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlines like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for burnt offering. So here's some questions. I actually kind of find them kind of silly. Who could hold all the water on the earth in their hand, you know? What can I hold, a tablespoon? I mean, it, it's silliness, right, you know? I just reminds me of an email thing I got into a few years ago with some youth workers. I don't know how I got into this, but they were trying to answer the question, how many gallons of water is in Lake Superior? So these guys are going back and forth, exchanging, like, mathematical formulas and how you cal calculate that. I'm going, how did I get in this email chain? <laughs> I, it's wet. It's cold and there's a lot of it. That's my contribution. <laughs> but there's a lot of it, a lot more than it can fit in my hand. And who can uh, measure the heavens between his thumb and middle finger? That's a span right there. If you've got bigger hands, it's a bigger span. Who can put all the dirt in a measuring cup or weigh all the mountains on a scale? It's silly. It's kind of ridiculous. But God is entirely able to do those things. At my first Chris Tomlin concert, uh, he was touring with Louis Giglio, someone you might know. He's a well-known teacher and author. And uh, Louis made this presentation about uh, supporting creationism. 
right? He made this at halftime of the concert, intermission at a concert, not halftime. <laughs> but, it was, uh, but it was very well done. It was really moving. And, it, and at one point, he showed images on the screen, right? He started with a man and then a house, and he's showing the relative size, and then a city, and of course, immediately the man disappears, and then a country, you can see it bigger, 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 and then he shows like the earth, and then Neptune or something, what's bigger than the earth, students, I don't know, and then the solar system, and then but it just shows that God is bigger than all that, and not only is he bigger, but he's in control of all that. And not only is he in control of all that, he created all that. All the, and then he goes on to say, all the land of the people, all the land or people of the world are like a drop in the bucket. It's a common phrase. We say that all the time. It's like a drop in the bucket. People didn't know they were quoting the Bible all the time. <laughs> but let me say that we just said that God loves me and you and the world even though all the people in the world are like a drop in the bucket, he loves and cares for us despite the fact that we're so small in the whole scheme of things. He can put all the dirt on a scale. You know, I sweat like crazy trying to move one yard of dirt from the driveway to the flower beds, right? He, I, the imagery, you can, you can see, he just like scoops up the coastlines. I, I imagine him scooping up the eastern seaboard just like I would wet sand at the beach. He's so great, deserves so much adulation that the huge forests and all the animals in Lebanon would not be enough to sacrifice to him. Well, we might not identify with the vast amount of sacrifices that is, you know, like the Israelites could. They could understand that. But the idea is that all those sacrifices cannot repay what God has done for us through Jesus. We can give all our money, all our time, talent, but we can't pay for heaven. All we can do is give our lives to God. So this list, the things listed in this, these verses seem a little silly, but God can do those things. For real, that's how great he is. He deserves our faith, our obedience, our worship, and yes, our trust. I was listening to uh, Elevation? No, Elevation, thank you worship channel on Pandora during my morning workout uh, one morning and uh, you know as some of those recordings are live one of the band members was speaking in the middle of it and he said that in times of trouble and doubt and hardship that's when we need to turn to God and worship and I think he was implying that oftentimes worship is connected to happiness and expressions of joy and that's great that's good but that when we really need to praise God and sing about his greatness is when we are down because he is worthy of our praise all the time. And it helped me in the next section. That was me. In the next section, uh, it helped me to group verses 13, 14, and 17. So look at those three verses. Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? All the nations are as nothing before him. They are counted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. Nope. Nobody 
No way, no how. Nobody counsels or gives counsel to God. He didn't sit in a classroom learning about the world from some teacher. He didn't have to go to law school to understand justice. He didn't have to be taught the law of thermodynamics. If I imagine him going, seven natural laws are given to men. All right, it's the Lord of the Rings blast. But God, God did that, right? And not only did he uh, not learn from anyone else, but he made all those things up. He is the source of all knowledge, the source of all understanding, the source of all justice. But he's the same God who loves me and loves you. Have you ever been in a situation where you've been a teacher or instructor? Raise your hand. Have you ever been a teacher or instructor of any kind? There's more of you up there, I know. (laughs) But that's one of my spiritual gifts, right? And God has given me many opportunities to use it. Not only have I taught many classes in a church setting, like like right now, uh, but I've been a baseball coach, a bowling instructor. I've even led seminars on the seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, But I've trained people at work on different systems and things like that. Um, You know, I'm that guy on the team. It's like, oh, you got to learn that. Go ask Dave. But my son and I uh, trained in mixed martial arts uh, for 10 years together. A lot of you know that. And part of that training is learning to lead the class, right? And then teach the whole class, and you could teach one-on-one techniques. And, uh, And I'm sorry, but, well, I'm not sorry. When I'm leading the martial arts class, I am the de facto expert. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't tell me I'm not doing right. Don't tell me I can't do that. It doesn't go well. But sometimes I have that attitude toward God. Well, maybe not that I say that he's wrong, but that he could use my counsel sometimes, right? Anybody else do that? (laughs) You know, we want to say, God, I should get that promotion to work that out for me. Or I should have that house up north. That would be nice. But even more seriously, God, you shouldn't allow things to happen like that. God, if you're going to work like this or that, I can't worship you. And I don't want to seem rude, But who are we to say that? Where were we when he created everything? In what way do we share responsibility for keeping the earth rotating on exact axis? You know, he doesn't require our guidance or our opinion. He wants to hear from us. He loves us. He wants our questions. But he is God. A dude named Job, you ever hear him? Why do we say Job but the same spelling as job. I've always been confused over that. But um, he lost basically almost everything, right? His children, his health, his wealth, his health, right? And Job challenged God's justice. He said, this ain't fair, right? But God responded that Job doesn't have sufficient knowledge of the universe to make such a claim. Job demanded a full explanation from God. But all God asked for Job is to trust in his wisdom and his character. And eventually, Job responds with humility and repentance. 
He's the omnipotent God, right? So much so that all nations are as nothing before him. Less than nothing. That's pretty insignificant. All the nations are actually a negative to God. But hang on, it gets better. Not only do we feel like we need to help God with his decisions, we have an idea of what God should look like or act like. Pick it up at verse 18, and we'll look at it, uh, 18, 19, 20, and 25. To whom then will you liken God, or what likeness compare with him? An idol. A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. I recently uh, finished listening to a book by Mitch Album called The Stranger in the Lifeboat. Anybody ever hear of that book? Okay, well, don't tell too much about it. I don't want to ruin it for you. But God appears to a small group of people who are in desperate situation and need help, but they don't want to listen to him because he appears in a form they don't expect. And he acts in a way that they don't understand. He doesn't meet up to their expectations. But, and humans have been fabricating God since who knows when. You know, and it's not surprising, though. A lot of times we feel like we need tangible evidence of God as, as humans. And maybe we even like to control how God looks and acts. Man has used all shapes and sizes and materials to represent God, applying any number of emotions and powers to it. But here he's looking at Ezekiel 33, 17. Ezekiel says, The way of the Lord, yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. But it's no different now, right? We don't craft idols. I haven't seen anybody do that in their backyard. But our gods are media, fame, power, Maybe even likes, money, status, things we can look up to, aspire to, attain, and control. We say, I think God should be like this, or thus and so. If God was a loving God, he would not allow cruelty, or cancer, or war, or whatever is the thing that we don't want to exist. We cannot create God in our image. He created us in his image. Humans broke the world God created. Sin entered into the world, and along with sin came a lot of the horrible things we see. God has allowed this condition to exist since Adam and Eve, but praise God he's promised to fix it in the future. Amen? He has. God is God, and we must trust him. It is difficult. It is difficult, admittedly. Absolutely it is. And some people in this room have gone through some awful things in this world. Abuse, addictions, disease, death of loved ones, hate, violence. These are bad things I wish we did not have to experience. But we cannot simply decide to remake God based on our own desires. He's already perfect. In Deuteronomy 32.4 we read, the rock, 
His work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteousness and upright is he. We may not understand it, but he's always just. He's always righteous and faithful. Look in Samuel 22, 2, 22. Let me say that right. 2 Samuel 22, 31. This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. God is true, perfect, and a place of safety. And just one more other verse to help us understand what God is like. Psalm 147, 5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. God is powerful and we cannot grasp his understanding. We cannot grasp how powerful he is or what he understands. It's infinite. He's a perfect, loving, omniscient, all-powerful. He's the perfect balance between creator, judge, and loving parent. Now, in these next few verses, uh, through Isaiah, God is demonstrating to us the error of our thinking. You know, we're not God's counselors or creators, you know, and, and, and I think as we read these verses, you'll feel the frustration in the author uh, as he is talking here, verses uh, 21, 27, and 28a. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? You <laughs> sound like a parent here, right? <laughs> Asking questions he already knows the answers to, right? Didn't I tell you? How many times do I have to tell you? Now, we can think about we can do this all day. Are you listening to me? Don't you understand? Apparently not, because he's gonna keeps telling us again and again. But he continues to teach in love and he allows us to ask questions, maybe the same ones over and over again. I was on a call uh, for work. I still re work remotely for 28 months. It's, I don't even know what the office is like anymore. My, my dress clothes think I moved or something. Um, I was on a call the other day, and one of the women uh, said that as a young person, she said, I'm not going to do what my mom did. I'm not going to say what my mom said when I was little. But now that she has a young child, now you know where I'm going with this. She finds she says and does things exactly like her mama did. <laughs> and parents don't say those things just to lord it over their children. They say them because they care and love them. And how much more does God love and care for us? Maybe you're struggling with some very difficult unanswered question. Maybe you feel like God can't hear you. I'm here to say that he can He's known each of our steps before we were born. Psalm 139, 16. It says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
And we may feel overwhelmed at times, maybe a lot of the time. But God is God. He's big enough to handle our questions, our hurts, our worries, our anxieties. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Let's keep going. Verses 22, 23, and 24 say, It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing, and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth, when he blows on them, and they wither, and the tempest carries off like stubble. He's bigger than the world, which is round, by the way. People argue about that for centuries, and it says right here in Isaiah. And people are as small as bugs to him, which I kind of, is a little bit generous. Um, but have you ever been camping, You're tent camping? Not this glamping. Tent camping. In the morning, you unzip that tent, and whew, you throw over the tent. The tent flat is open. Well, that's what God does with the heavens. Right? Who else can be in control of the universe except the one who created it? Even when our lives seem out of control, God is still in control. You know, humans have been putting men and women on thrones for thousands of years. And many of these rulers have had vast power over people and lands. And yet God brings them all to nothing. Did you see that Queen Elizabeth celebrated her 70 years on the throne? 70 years at that job. They wouldn't let this lady quit. <laughs> Poor thing. It's the longest reigning British monarch, right? But actually, she's only third longest all time. I, I had to look it up. Uh, King Louis XIV of France reigned over 72 years. Whew, that's a long time to have one job. But for as long as monarchs have ruled, to gods, it's as if they were new plants or haven't even taken root yet and don't even have the strength to endure a storm. And this is speaking of God's timelessness. Queen Elizabeth's 70 years are like a little shoot of a plant compared to God. So here's the climax of this section. This is the part that begins to answer the question of why should we trust God? Or can I trust God? I'm sorry. Can I trust God? So Tim Keller says it pretty well. He says, it's one thing to believe in God, but it's quite another to trust in God. And if you didn't know, Tim Keller has been struggling with cancer for several years, someone who asks questions of God. And when I say we can trust in God, I'm not talking about the pithy phrase, in God we trust, like we have in our money. I mean, I'm, I'm glad it's there. I'm, I'm happy that it's there but I find it inconsistent with what I see happening in our country. What I'm talking about is real trust, trust that is born on the wings of faith. Faith and trust, they are closely connected. When our faith in God is strong, our trust in God can be strong, even in the worst trials. Let's read the last few verses here. 26, 28b, 29, 30, 31. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He brings he who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, 
And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You hear what I'm saying? He's saying, hey, look, who, who created these? I'm thinking Isaiah is referring back to his sheep metaphor. You know, his other parts in the Bible, that means God's people, his flock. And I love how it says that none are missing, and he calls them out by name. He knows me. That's important. You know, remember that um, campaign, each campaign we did a few years ago? Um, it was, you know, we had a two-word story. And mine was known, known. He cares for me. Same for you if you know Jesus as your Savior. He is a mighty and powerful God. He's everlasting. He preceded all time and will exist for all time. And that's unfathomable to us. He created everything, the earth, the universe. But we say he rested on the seventh day. You know, that's examples for our benefit, right? He didn't really need to rest because he didn't get tired. He understands everything. He gives power to the faint, to those who have no might, which is all of us. And for as strong and energetic as young people seem to be, and they are strong and energetic, even they get tired sometimes. And uh, I was talking to Heather this morning, saying that Justin Justin went to bed early on his own last night. See, even Justin gets tired sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, how do we get the strength we need? What does it say? It says, wait. Those who wait are patient, persevere even through the worst experiences, will renew their strength. And this doesn't mean we just sit there and do nothing, right? The word, the word wait right there might really be better understood as depend. We depend on God to provide us what we need when we need it, in his time, not ours, in his way, not ours, with the answer he knows is best for us, even at times we can't see it. And when that happens, we will fly like an eagle. I don't think he's given us all an eagle. We hop on like you've seen in movies. It's a metaphor, right? But it'd be like our spirit is soaring. We will run or walk through this life. Spiritual metaphor again. We will not be weary and will not faint. But here's where faith and trust come together, right? Trust comes out of our faith. Our faith tells us the Bible is the word of God. Our faith tells us that God loves us. Our faith tells us that God is who he says he is. Our faith tells us that we can trust him. But none of this works without first having a relationship with God. We must first have faith that God sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins Because we're sinners and we can't save ourselves. We must have faith and believe that when we confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, 
who confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, heart that he raised him from the dead, that we are saved. It starts that. It starts with that. And if you've never taken that step this morning, I encourage you to do that. I would be glad to talk to you, as would Nate or Steve or Jim or our wives even, Nance, Sarah, Lydia, Jerry, we'd all like to talk to you. Now, for some of us, music is not a big motivator. It doesn't speak to us, right? And, you know, and that's fine. We're not all the same, right? But for me, poetry and song really move me. And I, I worship with, with the songs, and it's, it just fills me. Uh, and we shouldn't use songs so as equivalent to the Bible, because we all know that uh, some songs just don't get theology correct, right? But as I prepared for this message, you know, because it was on my mind, I heard so many songs that applied to trusting God, so many songs crying out to him in faith, crying out to him for help. And, uh, but the lyrics I'd like to share with you this morning are from Lauren Daigle's song, and you can hum along the tune to yourself. I'm not saying it. It's from her song, Trust in You. When you don't move the mountains, I'm needing you to move. When you don't part the waters, I wish I could walk through. When you don't give the answers as I cry out to you, I will trust, I will trust in you. So I'm asking you, no, I'm, I, I'm imploring you to trust in our eternal, powerful, all-loving God. This morning we saw in Isaiah and other scriptures that yes, God does indeed love us. We saw that God is powerful, wonderful beyond our comprehension. And because of that, yes, we can trust in him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that we can come this morning and look into your word. We can't thank you enough. We can't, we can't give enough, Lord, because you are so powerful and wonderful and you loved us so much to send Jesus for us. Thank you so much for that. We have a hard time trusting, Lord. We have a hard time trusting people. We have a hard time trusting you. Work in our hearts, Lord. Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Help us understand and know that we can trust Jesus. We can trust the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray.